Well, as many of you know, Pam and I moved last August. August, nice cool month around here, isn't it? Man, it was hot. Moving, is that a fun experience? No, that is not a fun experience. And how many of you know my wife? Okay, how many of you know my wife to be very, very sweet? Yeah, I know you're like, how did he get her? I can be very charming when I want to be. <laughs> well, at one point in time, we were moving, and my sweet wife, who is not here today, so I can say this, but she'll end up watching it online. She's with our grandson. She, uh, we're moving, and, and Pam hates hot weather. I love it. She hates it. And she was hot, and she was tired, and she looked me right in the eye. And really, moving was her idea. And she said, I will never move again. I intend to die in this house. And I thought, I wonder if she means today. <laughs> like, is she going to kill us? What, 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 what's going to happen? Any Star Wars fans here? Yes, any Star Wars fans. I remembered the words of... Admiral Akbar from Return of the Jedi, it's a trap, it's a trap. So I did not answer her. Not easy for a husband, certainly not easy for a preacher. Okay, you want to die here? We'll die here. That's fine. I'm, I'm good with it. Now, it's really interesting. In ages gone by, people did not talk much about sex, but they talked a lot about death. But today, it's the exact opposite. Today, people talk about sex. That's all they talk about. And hardly anybody talks about death. Death seems to be a subject that we can't deal with, that we're not prepared to talk about. Unless, of course, we're moving in August and it's really, really hot. Though that may be the circumstances in which we might talk about it. Last week... It looked like Abraham was going to lose his son Isaac, but he lived. This week, Abraham's wife does not. And Abraham has to deal with that painful reality. And as we've been looking through their lives in this series we would call Venturing into the Unknown, over 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before, over 2,000 years before Jesus, long time before us, God called Abraham and Sarah to move from where they lived in a place called Haran to leave all of their family and to move to Canaan, known as the Promised Land, home of the wicked, wicked pagan Canaanites. And what they were doing was, the title of our message today is, they were looking forward to a permanent home. And they were looking for a place where they could settle in for the rest of their lives. Yet, as we've seen, that journey and that time there has been completely full of ups and downs. And so we want to make a few observations of what we see that, that they went through while they were there. If you're taking notes, number one, there'll be three of them. Number one, God's people experience the sadness of death. God's people experience the sadness of death. Genesis 23, 1 and 2. Sarah lived 127 years. 
These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. You know, death is very common. Death is sometimes called the great equalizer. Death is one to a customer. And while I say that it is very common, it's very common except when it's someone you love. And then it's not very common. A lot of people in our church lost loved ones about a year ago at this time. People in nursing homes. It, it, was, it was devastating for them. And Abraham, this, this great man of faith, we really saw him his, coming into the greatness of his faith last week. It says that he mourned and he wept. That doesn't mean, we're not told that he lost his faith in God. That doesn't mean he doesn't believe in the resurrection. That doesn't mean, we're actually told in the book of Hebrews that he believed that God was going to raise his son Isaac from the dead last week. That's why he was so confident. And when God told him to kill his son, but he didn't kill, then he called it off at the last second. It doesn't mean that Abraham doesn't mean, that doesn't believe in eternal life. He's mourning and he's weeping because he is sad. He is mourning and weeping because he loved his wife. You know, as a, as a pastor, sometimes you end up at a funeral home and you end up close to the family as, as people are coming by and talking to people. And I know that we've all said these things and we mean well. But until you've been on the receiving end of those things, you perhaps realize maybe they're not as well-received as you hope they would be. It's common to hear people say, well, they're in a better place now. Well, that may or may not be true. Sometimes I always want to say, well, how do you know? But I don't want to start a fight there at a funeral. But the people who hear they're in a better place now, even if they were committed followers of Jesus Christ, the person, the people that are standing in the line are standing there going, okay, that's great. They're in a better place now, but I want them here. I don't want them in a better place. I want them here. Other times you'll hear people say something like, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. And inside, you've got the face, kind of the glazed over look. You see the glazed over look. But, the, but, but you know inside, the people are suffering tremendously. They might not be suffering, but I'm suffering. I'm dying on the inside. You say, well, what can I say? Well, you know, if you know them well, why don't you just give them a hug? And don't feel bad if your eyes well up with tears too because you're so sad for them. Or why don't you just say to them, if you don't know them well, shake your hands and just say, I'm so very sorry. You have to say it sincerely, not a token. Oh, sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry. Look them right in the eye. I'm so sorry for your loss. Maybe there's something you know about them that's positive you can say. You know, they, I remember that smile of his. Or, or maybe you have a story you can tell. You know, one time... 
I remember he helped me fix my car. Or I remember one time she cooked a really great meal for me. Or they were really a positive influence on our job. They're going to be sorely missed. Something to, to help such people. Quick. Nothing, nothing, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to bring them back. One thing I would say to you, if you know them well, is don't say to them, call me if you need anything. Why is that? Because they're not going to call. You call. Send a text. Hey, you know, God just brought me to your heart today. And if God brings them to your heart, pray for them. I just want to let you know I prayed for you this morning. I love you. Just simple, simple. I'm thankful for this passage because it reminds me that followers of Jesus are not robots, that we are not expected to be immune to grief and sadness. Oh, I do praise the Lord that followers of Jesus have the promise of victory over the grave. But that doesn't mean that death doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that your faith is weak because it does hurt. We've seen that Abraham and Sarah, and I'm thankful for this too, they did not have a perfect marriage. They have been through a lot together, and we've seen that pain and sorrow, and if you know people who've been married for a long time, they will tell you that, yes, good times bring people close together, but pain and sorrow bring people really close together. I know for Pam and I, I think that grieving together has brought us closer than anything else. Now, if you do the math and you go back to chapter 12, you realize that they entered the promised land approximately 62 years ago. So they're married over 60 years. They finally had their promised son 37 years ago. So 62 minus 37, they had a lot of years of painful waiting for that promised son. And when you closely go through someone with someone, the loss of a spouse, it's a very, very difficult thing. You know how it goes. The mail comes with their name on it. My mother still doesn't want to take my father's name off her checks. Now, I am the executor of her will, and I can sign on everything. It's very helpful that I have the same name as my father. (laughs) But technically, my name is on her checks. But she's like, no, that's your father. He's been gone 20 years. You don't do as much shopping. You don't make as much coffee in the morning. You only make one side of the bed. All those things that annoyed you about your spouse, all of a sudden you wish those annoying things were back. God doesn't expect us to be robots. And and if you know anything about losing someone close to you, sorrow doesn't end when the funeral arrangements end, does it? No, not at all. Sorrow and and that pain comes to you in waves. And it can, can last for years and years and years. And here's the interesting thing, and don't be embarrassed. And if you're sitting at home, don't be embarrassed about this. A lot of times when people lose a loved one, they come into church and the floodgates open. 
And they're like thinking like, oh, Pastor Jim's looking at me from the stage. Maybe I can hide it from everybody else. But he sees me crying. He sees me crying. He's going to think I'm messed up. I already think you're messed up. (laughs) But I know what happens when you come to church and you hear the word of the Lord. The Lord just opens up your heart. And if your heart is full of grief and sorrow and sadness, of course you're going to cry. Because God's doing a work in your heart. Should faith make a difference in our relationships and our marriages? Yes. Should make a big difference. But the reality of this situation in death is this. The deeper the love, the closer the friendship, the more grief we may experience Last week, we said it was confusing in John chapter 11 when Jesus didn't rush to heal his friend Lazarus when he was sick. But there's another part of that passage that's not confusing, not at all. John chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The one whom you love is sick. And then we said it was confusing. Why would Jesus wait? But let's drop down to verse 35. It's not confusing. John 11, 35. By the way, this is, for those of you who don't have much experience with middle school boys, this is their favorite Bible verse. Jesus wept. You say to kids, what's your favorite Bible verse? All the boys go, Jesus wept. They don't know where it is. It's the shortest verse in the English Bible. Jesus wept. Verse 35 says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, he wept because he had to bring him back from the dead. I am not that spiritual. I'm sorry. Maybe you're looking for a more spiritual pastor. I'm not that spiritual. I believe what the text says. He wept because he loved him. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad you're watching. Maybe today is the day. Maybe right now God is so close talking about this subject of death that today is the day you are hearing him loud and clear. If you are a follower of Jesus, know this. The same Jesus that wept at the tomb of Lazarus, weeps with you when you lose a loved one. Weeps with you in your lonely despair. Weeps with you when you feel bad that your faith is is so weak that you can't stop crying. This week I took a verse and I was just meditating on one little section of it. It says this in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now, the context of that is sin, okay? I I get that. But just think that for a second. Whatever your weakness is, whether it's sorrow, whether it's loneliness, whether it's 
sin, wherever you are just weak right now in your faith, it says that Jesus sympathizes with you. He is there with you. He is there alongside of you. And not only is he there alongside of you, he wants to be alongside of you in that. That's how much he loves you. Not only does he want to pull you out of the pit of that, God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that he came down, God became a man, and came into the pit of our sorrow so he could reach out to people and sympathize with them in their weaknesses. Boy, that undoes a lot, a lot of what people say that God wants nothing to do with me because of the way people live or the way I've lived my life. Maybe today you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, you feel like a complete failure. Well, now you know how Jesus feels about you. He wants to come alongside of you. So God's people experience the sadness of death. Number two, God's people are not at home on earth. This is a recurring theme we come across in the scriptures Verse three, then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, some of your versions say Hittites, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Now he's lived there for more than 60 years. What is he saying? I'm not one of you. I'm one of Yahweh's people. I'm not a Canaanite. Give me, and the idea is sell me property. He's going to mention this three times uh, for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Another version says you are a prince of God. Another version says you are God's chosen one among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place. None of us will say you can't use our tomb. That's what they're saying. That you may bury your dead. We want to give you a place to bury your dead. Now, on the one hand, you have to really admire the respect that these people have for Abraham, especially after living there for 60 years and being so different than the Canaanites, that says a lot about his walk with God and his ability to communicate with people who don't have a walk with God. That's something right now, Christian, we are going to have to learn and we are going to have to learn it quick. It was an adversarial relationship. And yet, he will not compromise his faith. Death is an interesting thing. Death reminds us how fast life goes, doesn't it? You hear of people dying and and you can't believe it. And I've lost a lot of people in my life. You know, I come, most of you know I come from a very large Irish Catholic family. And so I, was, I felt as a kid, my, my grandmother had like 13 brothers and sisters and wives. And all we were doing was going to wakes. Like that's what we did every weekend. And yet, interestingly enough, two years ago, the, the, the brevity of life hit me more than it ever has. 
I had a lot of mentors in the business world, some when I was a, a high school and college kid, but when I started my company, my first company at the age of 24, I, I had two particular business mentors, and they were both about 15 years older than me, and two years ago, they both retired. I never, I never thought they would retire. Like, it dawned on me, like, oh my gosh. I remember them as, as young men of 40 years old taking me under their wing, and I'm like, you're retiring? You're kidding me. And I thought, man, life is going so fast. Now, in Cain and Abraham was a well-known rich guy. Remember back in chapter 14, he, he fought a battle and freed many of the locals, but he still says to them, I'm not one of you. I live here, but I'm not one of you. Interesting. Over 60 years ago, God promised him this land, and Abraham still does not own one piece of property. He doesn't own one rock. Why? Because he refused to become a Canaanite convert. He refused, after 60 years, over 60 years, he refused to give in to Canaanite culture. He was still a follower of Yahweh. While it appears the Canaanites are being very generous to him, he will not bury his wife in a Canaanite tomb. Perhaps he's thinking there's an unholiness about it. Perhaps thinking that once her body decomposes, they'll probably just use the tomb again. But Abraham says, thanks, but no thanks. I want to buy a tomb from you. I want to have my own place where we can bury our own people. The whole thing is very interesting to me. Although he has the promises of God and the rights to the promised land from God, like Jesus, he humbles himself before these guys as a man who has no rights. Another great example for us. Another great example for us. The more we fight for our rights, and I'm not saying we don't speak up, but the way we speak up matters because we're just going to alienate the mission field that God has given to us. So we have to be very, very careful. You say, that's a, that's a real tightrope. We got to walk here. You better believe it is. And Abraham has walked that tightrope for over 60 years. Let him serve as an inspiration to us. There's a woman who lives down the street from me. I don't know how old she is. I, I, don't know. I don't even know if she lives down the street from me. But the same time I leave for church every morning, I would say she's in her 80s. She is zipping down my road, walking. And it, it's a cut-through street. So I don't know where she lives. And I just rolled down the window, and I said to her this morning, I said, you know, you're an inspiration to me to keep on move, keep on keeping on. And Abraham's an inspiration to me, too, to keep on keeping on in the midst of a land where you feel like a complete stranger. Their reaction to him makes me also think that Abraham was also known as a fair and honest businessman. But notice this business deal comes to him. Hey, it's free. And Abraham says, no, I, I can't do this one. Those of you who are out in the business world, I, I can say this as the business world pastor, 
you have to learn how to adapt doing business with the world. I became a follower of Jesus five years after I owned my own company. <laughs> what an adaptation that was. Remember, there was a guy that I was, I was paying off to get business from him. And so I, I was, he was in New York City, and I went to meet him in a bar. That's where he hung out during uh, lunchtime, liquid lunch. And so I went over to him and, and his bar, and he was faced this way, and I tapped him on the back, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know that I can't pay you off anymore uh, for the job. And he says, why? And he said, I said, I'm a Christian now, uh, but I'll still give you good service. And he look at, looks at me and toasts me and says, have a nice life, and turns around and keeps drinking. <laughs> and I had just bought a brand new truck. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, there's going to have to be adjustments. There's going to be times when we're going to have to just say to certain people in business dealings as followers of Jesus, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that deal. Followers of Jesus are simply guests. Remember, we learned in 1 Peter that we are pilgrims. Pilgrims are what? They are not people that are home. They are people that are on their way home. We are just passing through, and death reminds us of that. I think lately in the United States here, our passing through status has been, become a lot more obvious than it used to be. Do you see how fast this is happening? If you don't know how fast it is happening, it is happening so fast. Several churches say something that, that online that people don't like, and they're losing their platforms. So it's, it's a very interesting situation. And I'm a total free speech guy. I, listen, I think as long as you're not inciting violence, you can say the craziest things you want about me. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe now, finally, we can stop talking about the persecuted church, and maybe now some of us are going to be experiencing it. Yet these things, these ups and downs of life, help committed followers of Jesus Christ to see the world differently. And maybe it's going to help some of us to let go of this earth and not to hold on to it as tightly as we had before. I'm not saying, especially you young people, I am not saying you cannot, you cannot have goals and ambitions. Goals and ambitions are good things. I am not saying to any of us we can't feel pain. But I am saying that we are to be people that have a very different perspective on life and on this earth. And perhaps the greatest thing I could impart to you today is that death is no obstacle to God keeping his promises to you. Number three, God's people have the promise of a permanent home. God's people have the promise, promise of a permanent home. Verse 7, then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, or the, some of your versions say the Hittites. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with or ask or some versions say intercede with Ephron, the son of Zophar, for me. I want you to go talk to this guy for me. That he may give me, and I think the idea is sell, the cave of Machpelah, 
which, ha- which he has or which he owns, which is at the end of his field, let him give it to me. Once again, I think he's saying, sell it to me at the full price. You say, why? When he's saying give, I, because he's saying, I want, it, I want it given to me or sold to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. What does he really want it for? He wants it for an inheritance for those who pass away after him and Sarah. So Sarah is gone, but Abraham has to move on. That that is not easy. But he does move on with faith and hope that one day the whole promised land will belong to the people of God as God said. So what is Abraham doing? He's investing. He's investing in land. He's buying a small piece of property. He's buying the future. It's like we say that that when we invest in the kingdom of God, what do we do? When we give money to God's work, we are sending our money ahead. We are investing in the kingdom of God. We are investing in the kingdom of heaven. They essentially mean the same thing. We could say that right at this moment, the possession of the promised land is beginning as the Lord, through Abraham, is putting a down payment on the future. The Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 17, 8, he said, also I give to you a land and your descendants after you, the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan. So this is the first piece of that happening. An everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, let's notice Abraham's humility and his wisdom. He offers full price. There's no entitlement. There's no, hey, remember I rescued you people? Remember back in chapter 14? I I deserve a good price. None of that. He doesn't expect a low price. He says, I want to pay full price. Why? I don't know. The best I can come up with is I think he doesn't want anybody coming back questioning the legitimacy of the deal after he's dead. Oh, he ripped that guy off. That wasn't fair. They gave it to him. It really wasn't anything long-term. It was more like a lease than a purchase, I guess, whatever it is. I think it's also interesting that he didn't want to leave future generations with a problem or maybe a large bill. Hmm. (laughs) All the young people are saying, don't be looking at us, Pastor Jim. Look at the old people on that one. Abraham's not cocky. He says he gets others to go talk to the landowner. That's why we go to God in Jesus' name. We don't go into anybody else's. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We go in Jesus' name. You know, when you, sometimes you'll, you'll say, a friend will say to you, uh, you know, oh, do you know anybody who does this? And say, you'll, they'll say to you, yeah, go there, tell them you know me. So they would, what would they do? They would go to this guy and they'd say, hey, listen, man, we know this good guy, Abraham. Did you ever hear of him? Oh, you've heard of Abraham? Yeah, listen, he's a good guy. He's good to do business with. You, you know, do some business with him. He's a good guy. He's not going to rip you off. Just to hear him out. So the two men meet, verse 10. Now, Ephron, some of you want to say Ephron, 
I always laugh when I read this. There's two reasons why I read this. I'll give you the first one now. Uh, if I remember the second one later, I'll tell you. Um, it always reminds me of Zac Efron. How many know who Zac Efron is? Yeah, some of you know who Zac Efron is. Um, 15 years ago, by the way, this, this is such a sad day for me. This is normally a party day in our church. How many of you knew that? This is the 16th anniversary of our church. Yeah, so normally I have a party. No party today. Sorry. Actually, that's not true. It's my grandson's birthday party this afternoon, so I will be partying. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, 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 but anyway, 15 years ago, uh, when, we, when we started, really got the church going, our youth group was pretty much bigger than our church. <laughs> and I, I was a youth leader for many years, and people say, well, how did you grow the youth group bigger than the church? I basically grew it on, on if you know who Zac Efron is, he was the star of High School Musical. I basically built it on the Bible and High School Musical illustrations that little girls liked. <laughs> so, and so I always used to joke about that, and, and, and when they would not pay attention, I would say something completely wrong about it, and all the kids would freak out. Um, so anyway, that, don't count that against my time. Um, so now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who answered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. So three times he says, I will give, it, give you the cave and the field. Now, if it's give, it's probably future favors or, you know, good relationships with other people, but it's probably a sale in some sense. Verse 12, then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will give it, please hear me, or, you know, please listen, I'm insisting on this. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, take the money from me, and I will bury my dead there. So what is he doing? He is purchasing a plot of land now and a cave. Apparently, Ephron says, I'll, he says I'll, I'll, if you're going to get the cave, you've got to take the land too. So he's going to get a plot of land and a cave to bury the patriarchs in. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's where they're going to be buried. Even Joseph's going to want to come back from Egypt, and he's going to want to be buried there. Why is Abraham doing this? Because he believes that the promised land will belong to the people of God. Let me say it once again. Death will not stop. Death will not hinder the promises of God. Many of the promises that you and I have, we will see in this life, but many of the promises that you and I have, we will not see until the next life. Now, Let's watch, and here's my second thing. Remember I told you I had business mentors that retired. Those were my, after I started my business mentors. When I was a, a high school kid and, a, uh, and in college, I worked a lot. I grew up in Long Island, and I worked a lot for Jewish businessmen, and they were served, because a lot of them knew that I had the entrepreneurial bug, uh, they served as tremendous mentors to me. Tremendous, tremendous. In, in fact, when I'm up doing pastor negotiations, I have to forget all the business negotiating skills I learned because they're just, they really taught me so well, and I'm so grateful to them. And, and you know, if you don't know a lot of, when they, 
when they got exiled, they'll, if you talk to them, they'll tell you, we got exiled uh, down to Babylon from when Nebuchadnezzar took over uh, Israel, and we weren't allowed to own land. So we ceased being farmers and we became businessmen. And that's how the history of our people became such good businessmen. It's thoroughly interesting to talk to someone who knows this stuff. Maybe it doesn't interest you. I'm a geek. It interests me. So, so here we see these two skilled businessmen going at it. And when you, if, you, if you've ever witnessed that before, it's really good because of the subtleties are so good. So, um, so here we see two serious businessmen going, rolling up their sleeves, going to work. Abraham wants it so badly, and, and Ephron smells blood in the water. It says, verse 14, and Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, and when I, when I talk about these business mentors, I tell you, I have nothing but respect for those guys. Man, to take a young kid under their arms with no return is, you know, I find that about a lot of successful people. If you, you young people listen to this, if you seem willing and serious, successful people will often want to help you. If you don't seem serious, they won't even want to tell you what time it is. So when Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. Hey, we're both rich guys, 400 shekels. That's nothing. And Abraham insisted, listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named, the price that he asked, in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. <laughs> this price is crazy high. He's totally ripping them off. But notice how he mentions the price but doesn't ask for the price. Oh, it's worth about 400 shekels. You know, whatever. And he's expecting Abraham to come back. See, that's business skill. He doesn't say take it or leave it. He just kind of casually mentions it. That's more than 100 pounds of silver. I did quick math in my head, so I might be wrong on this, but based on Friday's price of silver, uh, that's about $20,000. What do you think $20,000 would be worth today? Now, King David only paid 50 shekels, one-eighth of that for the temple site. <laughs> but to Abraham, what's that cave worth? You know how the commercial goes, right? Priceless. Priceless. Ephron is shrewd, but so is Abraham. Instead of haggling and risking the deal, it's not a lot of money to Abraham. It's, he's way overpaying, but he's not a lot of money. Instead of risking losing the deal, he says, okay. Ephron probably went like that. Well, Okay. And what does he do? He seals the deal in front of witnesses. Very, very wise. You see, by doing it in front of witnesses in the future, there would never be any doubt where that cave was that belonged to Abraham and who that cave belonged to. You see, he fights shrewdness with shrewdness. Verse 17, so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession. 
Now God's people have a piece of land in the promised land. He owns it. In the presence of the sons of Heth, witnesses, before all who went into the gate of his city. You know, I don't know, but maybe some of this dealing and, and, the, and the high price compared to the low price that uh, uh, David paid for prime real estate, I don't know, but maybe it's a picture for the Israelites and for us that oftentimes obtaining the promises of God is very costly. Financially costly, yes. But in other ways, costly as well. That, that, that being a follower of Jesus is going to cost you time. It's going to cost you not doing things perhaps the easy way, but having a life of integrity. It's going to call you to a life of a certain type of morality and obeying the Lord. It's going to call you and I to sometimes doing ways, things of, in ways that's not the easy way. That's a more difficult way, but it's the right way. I mean, look at what Abraham is doing I don't know about you, but I think at this point in time, being this rich, it would have been just easier to go home. Go back to Haran. Go back to where your people are. But what is Abraham doing? He's willing to lay down his life for future generations. He is living what we refer to in Christianity as the cross-centered life. He's living way before Jesus, but he's walking in the way of Jesus. In John chapter four, Jesus is talking to the apostles, picking it up at verse 36. He says this, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows plants the seeds, that's what Abraham is doing, and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in for in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Some people plant the seed, some people do till the ground, do the hard work, and other people come and collect the, the fruit, the harvest. He said, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Many of you have contacted me and people have contacted me in various ways and said, what kind of a season do you think that we are in now as the church of Jesus Christ in America right now? And I think we are called right now into a season of sowing. I think we are called in these days to labor for future generations. That there's gonna be some hard road ahead hard seasons ahead. And the real question doesn't become, do we sow? We're always supposed to be sowing even if we're in a season of reaping. That's not the, that's not the real question. The real question is, how many Christians are really willing to be sowers, to sow the seed of the word of God? to tell people the truth in love, to endure ridicule or difficulty, 
today, I believe with all of my heart, the Lord invites all of you, all of you that are here, other places, watching online, invites me, all of us, to be a sower, to sow for the next generation. Because right now, they're in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot. 25 years I've done youth ministry. Right now, this is the toughest spot they've ever been in. They're in a tough spot. And Jesus is going to call us as adults to take them alongside of us, to let them serve alongside of us, to encourage them, to love on them, to sympathize with them in their weaknesses. What a golden opportunity this is. What a golden opportunity is to, to be called by God to sow seed. And I think even, we'll, even God will give us moments of grace to see fruit in that. Verse 19, and after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Second time, we're reminded they're in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were, were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property, in, in other words, an inheritance for a burial place. You see how it starts it starts with, with one small burial plot. It is just the beginning of the land that God has promised to give to his people. And this is one of the reasons why we don't get the Middle East. All of these promises of this land and, and, and all of these kinds of transactions. But let's bring it into our world. This is how God operates. He often starts very small as one life after another gives their heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's you today, friend. Maybe it's you. One life after another. As God creates children out of those who put their trust in him. As God makes disciples, learners and followers of Jesus, not churchgoers. I'm not talking about churchgoers. I'm talking about true, heaven-bound followers of Jesus. Personally, be on the lookout because often God will give you just one small little sign. Maybe a little old lady who walks by your house every day the same Sunday you leave for work. One small little sign I'm thinking, God, if she can keep going, I can keep going. One small little sign in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your difficulties, God says to you, look at that little sign. You know what that sign says to you? It says, I'm here and I see you. Don't give up. Stay at it. I know, look at Abraham. He was grieving, but he's staying at it. He's got the future in mind. He's going to see her again. He knows it, but he knows there's people coming after him that he wants them in heaven. 
like Abraham, followers of Jesus, are strangers in a foreign land that we're just here and we're called to build and to press on in building God's church to share the good news of the kingdom of heaven with people while we long for a permanent home. Sarah's permanent home was free to her, but it was costly to Abraham. Our permanent home offered to you today if you're not a follower of Jesus, but our permanent home in heaven is offered freely to us. But how costly to Jesus as it cost him his own life. Oh, no, no, no. Heaven was not not something that just given away. It had to be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Death is a reality. But the great hope of Christianity is death is a doorway to life. Death is the way that God brings his children home. Death is the entrance into our eternal home. John chapter 14, at the Last Supper, Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going what? To prepare a permanent home. I'm going to prepare a permanent eternal home. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. That is a promise of God. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, after Jesus is speaking, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the way. The way to heaven is a person. It is not being you and I being a good person. How good is good enough? The scripture says perfect. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the only way to get to heaven. You have to go through me to get to heaven. Jesus and the apostles taught that the way to get to heaven is to repent and believe, to repent, to turn to God, to be willing to turn from your sin to God and believe, put your trust in Jesus instead of yourself. If you're saying you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're trusting in yourself. You say, no, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn to God. I want your help, God, to stop doing what I'm doing. I want, I'm asking for your forgiveness, and I'm going to put my trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus proved it by living a perfect life, that he was the way, dying on the cross, and then being buried in a tomb. But notice his tomb, he didn't buy it. He only borrowed it. Why? He only needed it three days. And then he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He came the first time as Savior. He will come a second time as judge. When he comes back, do you want him to be your Savior or your judge? Friends, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus moves towards sinners. 
not away from sinners. He moves towards sinners. Do we move towards sinners? Do we move towards them in love? Like our Savior? That's the cross-centered life. I'm not saying that to make anybody feel guilty. I'm saying that so that you're reminded of that when God puts you in that place, and he will, and he will put me in that place. He moves towards sinners, and what does he do when he moves towards sinners? He makes an offer to them. And my non-Christian friend, he makes an offer, that offer to you today. An offer to become a child of God. An offer to become a citizen, what the Bible calls a citizen of heaven. That is Jesus' desire for you. And let me tell you something else I know about him. That is what moves his heart. How else could you explain everything else than the fact that people would come to him That's a motivator for Jesus that moves his heart that people would come to him. And so today, hear the call to come home to the kingdom of heaven, the call to begin that new life today. But listen, that call is only made to imperfect people like Abraham and Sarah. (laughs) That call is only made to imperfect people like me and like so many of the people that you sit among today and you watch among today. Only imperfect people because there was only one perfect person who ever lived on this earth and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. So hear his invitation to his mercy, to his grace, to his forgiveness no matter how messed up you might think that you are or how good that you think you are. Come to him, the perfect one, and know that when you do, you actually delight his heart. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to a permanent home but I have a split personality because part of me is looking forward to that permanent home. But part of me wants us, Calvary Chapel, Mars Hills, to be able to get there and say, look at the people we brought with us. And that's why God has us here. Well, let's pray.